that is a very arbitrary line that you know constitutes you know me being Kenyan versus I mean, a lot of it is very arbitrary so it is exactly that and we are we are very much leaning into that story of global labor mobility and you know brilliance not being bounded it's a, it's a, it's an absurd notion to imagine that you know you can keep a particular type of brain in a particular kind of geography it just doesn't work like that and financing is what typically tends to get in the way of this and by unblocking it what we want is for african brilliance to be everywhere Welcome to Do It With Dan, entrepreneurial philanthropist, public speaker and author, creator of the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Here is your host, Daniel Mengena. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm uh, <laughs> having a conversation today that's been long overdue. We've been going back and forth for a little while now. Uh, excited to have this conversation with my guest today. She's involved in a pocket of... Um, a pocket of global development, I'm going to describe it as, that is very near and dear to my heart. So I'm very interested to hear where that came from, where the inspiration came from. But I'm going to stop waffling. I'm going to pass the mic over. Lydia, why don't you let the people know who you are and what it is you do? Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel. Lydia Kemunto Bosire. I run a company called 8B Education Investments. We provide fair loans to African students going to global universities. This is a space that has not been addressed at this scale before. Previously, when African study, students study abroad, either they have wealthy parents or they're really lucky and they win a scholarship. The vast majority of students who are ambitious have ambitions that are larger than household incomes, and there is no way to finance that. So we are the first entity doing this focused exclusively on African students going to global universities. The reason I do it, Daniel, is personal. I'm born and raised in Kenya. I was one of those very lucky winners of the scholarship lottery because there is no other way to describe it, Daniel. When there is, you know, a thousand equally qualified kids and like five places, that is as good as drawing a straw. So when I finished high school in Kenya, I got a scholarship to study in the UK at something called the United World Colleges. And from there, I got another scholarship to study at Cornell University in the US. And... That was massively, massively transformational because these are places from which you can dream and be. There are opportunities. You can do the kinds of things that you are cut out for and then change your mind later and do something else. And that is not an opportunity that is availed to many young people who don't have the resources to get there. So anyway, I finished Cornell. While at Cornell... Um, was uh, doing a lot of AIDS activism, being from Kenya, and the issue was big at the time. I mean, continues to be big, but much, much more visible then. And I applied and received an offer to the Harvard School of Public Health, and they gave me no money, so I could not go. And that was the first time when the question of financing African students in global universities was very starkly 
in my parking lot because my scholarship lottery winning streak was, you know, wavering. Um, worked for some years while applying for additional grad school and then got an offer to Oxford for an MSc. When I continued to my DPhil, there was no money. I, you know, I wasn't any less capable from one year to the next. There just simply wasn't money in the usual pockets where scholarship money resides. So I had to do all sorts of things, you know, change colleges, work for some um, crazy Canadian philanthropist in London, like do all sorts of things that I had no business doing while trying to finish a PhD, but that's what I did to make it work. But what's most distressing about that, Daniel, is that very many African students that I knew who were in the MSc program, because it was at MSc on African studies, so it had a few more Africans than average in Oxford, couldn't continue to their DPhil programs despite having offers because of financing. So this issue of financing for African students in global universities was really a recurring theme for me. And after I returned to work, so I went to after Oxford returned to the UN in New York, worked at the World Bank in DC, what I kept on finding is that being the only person in many rooms who had my lived experience kept taking me back to the reason why there are no more people like me here isn't because we cannot be. It's because these rooms are recruiting from Oxford and Cornell and the number of people like me in Cornell and Oxford rely on the scholarship lottery and the number of people by definition who can win that are very few. And so my Leaving my purpose wasn't so much being the best person in, you know, in whatever piece of the UN I was working in. It was leaving that room and making sure there can be 10 more people like me in that room so that I'm not the last person like me in those spaces and not just within the multilateral system, but really across all places where decision making globally happens. The number of Africans is way lower than it really should be given the abundance of brilliance on the continent. So that's what drives me, that's what led me to start 8B and that's what I keep doing every single day. Well, um, firstly, what a journey. <laughs> um, and I think it's fascinating that so many people, not just necessarily with this dynamic of breaking free from the thing, you know, when I speak to people from impoverished backgrounds, for example, even in the West, when you get out of the area or you break free, it's like, you don't look back. It's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm out, bye. <laughs> and there's this desire to disassociate. But I love that these rooms that you were moving into and these situations you were moving into where you saw the disparity was actually a reminder of you, not only of the opportunities that you've had, but became almost an inspiration for you to find those solutions that you've now gone on to create. So I just wanna just celebrate you for having that um, character, I would say, and that heart to be off working at the World Bank and working at the UN. I don't think I didn't notice the way you just brushed over, oh yeah, I worked at the UN or whatever, which are no small feats. And instead of you going on to bigger yourself, you sought to find ways to bring things back home. Um, a friend of mine from, well, she's my sister's friend, but she's my friend too. Um, she's from Turks and Caicos and they had a program where they would finance their young bright minds to go into um, universities and colleges in the US and the UK, but they actually had it fixed that they had to come back to Turks and Caicos albeit they do provide employment for them. Um, so I've seen that there are programs that some 
governments do seek to put into place. But much to your point, when you have uh, a country that's trying to make ends meet, it's trying to take care of big social issues. Like you said, at the time they were dealing with the health crisis around AIDS and HIV, thinking about kids going to a particular university with those universities at home probably wasn't a priority. So again, you then finding an economic model, and I do really want to speak about the business side of, of what you're doing to be able to fill that gap is really, really fascinating to me. Very fascinating indeed. So let's get a little bit into that. Um, um, is this a nonprofit? Is this a, a model that actually turns a profit? Speak to me a little bit more about that. I'd love to sort of peel the, the onion on that. Yeah. So I started by saying the scale of the demand cannot be met by the usual sources of capital, which are typically philanthropy. We think about Africa as a place where you give $100 over a dinner table, you pat yourself on the back, you're given a picture of a smiling baby, and you're done. We're talking about transformation. We're talking about the kinds of things that unlocks the scale of resources that isn't, isn't that. And it's mm-hmm. the scale of transformation is generational. It isn't about the time frame of an annual report. It is about the next 30, 40, 50 years and what African, you know, Africa being an equal in the world of decision-making, Africa being seen not as a place to be rescued and saved, but as a place that is an intellectual equal. What that looks like is what we are working towards. And so the timescale is very different. And by definition, the kind of capital we need doesn't cannot depend on the generosity of people. It simply has to be looking at the problem as a market failure. There is mm-hmm. demand by students who have offers to global universities. There are There is demand for those students by the universities that wants them for all sorts of reasons that we can get into. Mm-hmm. And there is a gap. Those students need money that nobody's providing. I have spoken to a wild range of African banks and nobody, or let me say, Almost nobody is willing to consider the idea of lending to a student when they don't have land that they can seize if the student mm-hmm. should, you know, default, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about a very different product that doesn't currently have a, a market on the continent. And what I'm hoping, what our success looks like is actually crowding in the African banking sector and the global banking sector into solving this problem and meeting the demand. But to your question, so what is it? It is a loan program. It is a for-profit. It is not a not-for-profit. And the reason for that, and I did wonder the wilderness of the foundation and not-for-profit world after I left the UN to see, could I do this with the usual partners <laughs> that I knew? And I realized very quickly, Dan, that I couldn't and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, made peace with the fact that I was now in the business of mobilizing capital to transform the world, but mob- mobilizing return-seeking capital because that's why it exists in larger amounts. But so what it is, it is a for-profit company that lends money to students at a fair rate who are going to universities for which there is a high return on the investment. So you can't be going into any university and all universities are not created equal. And we're solving for the global labor market where we know when you graduate with that degree, there is a job for you. So again, you cannot be be going to just anything. Unfortunately, that's not where we are. At Mm. some point in the future, when we have 17 banks doing this, we can lend to more, a wider range of people. For right now, it's a very narrow, we know, that you are going into fields for which it is completely logical that they should be financing for you and it is completely ridiculous that it isn't available and we Mm -hmm. are stepping in to meet that gap. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so 
how does the thing work? And I have to start by saying we are right now uh, veiling $30 million for lending to African students who are going to U.S. Wow. universities wow. in STEM designated programs. So this is available as we speak. And the, many students will be distressed um, in this season when they have received all those offers and they're not the winners of the scholarship lottery or at least not 100% of the funding and they're like, oh my God, how will I make this work? So this is something that we have available right now. And how that model works is that we are thrilled to be working with a US bank and you can find this information at 8B, the number eight, the letter B dot Africa. Um, we're working with a US bank and working with their balance sheet and helping them get students and working with them to get students and underwrite them. What that means is, you know, if you're a bank in Nebraska, you have no idea what a Kenyan qualification looks like. We do. Um, and so we are really working with, we, we are working with a U.S. bank because that's the place with the lowest cost of capital in mm -hmm. order to enable students who would otherwise not be able to get resources from an entity like this to do so. And we are enabling those connections to happen. Um, but the summary of this is that it's a loan program. It is a lane that is really important to to have because we believe, Daniel, in a symphony of solutions in the education space. We need somebody to be financing primary education and secondary education and tertiary education at home. The resources that we're unlocking are not possible to use for those other lanes. So it's not like by doing this, we're taking money away from something else. This money simply isn't available for educating Lydia when she's still in the village in Kenya. It is only available when Lydia is showing up in Cornell. And that is what we are so thrilled to have been able to unlock in order to enable more brilliant Africans to be in the places where the future is being built. And I have to emphasize this. We need more of everything in the education sector on the African continent because we have so many young people. I think it will be a mistake to think that having a lane for global education somehow is affecting our ability to have a robust lane in all the other places, including even basic literacy. We need all of those. And this lane is important in transforming Africa from being a place where everybody is saving to being a place that is an equal mm -hmm. on the conversation table. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things I love about it as well, so I'm, I'm very passionate about something I call entrepreneurial philanthropy, which is what this really feels like. It's embedding a profit motive into the model so that people are incentivized to take a part in bringing about a solution and that those who are served by the solution are incentivized to perpetuate the solution rather than waiting for another handout. That's one thing I'm very, very passionate about. And so I love that you found this way because, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the student loan market is like it's quite a profitable market. And in fact, um, there's even been a lot of uh, a lot of talk about the fact that it's maybe a bit too profitable in some quarters in the US. So I think it's interesting that you've got an entire market of student lending that wasn't getting any of the money that's on the on the table when it is readily available to use. So again, kudos to you for coming up with this solution. Very, very uh, entrepreneurial of you and, uh, and, and really powerful. So is the longer term goal to continue to use, um, shall we say, Western educational um, establishments to make this happen? Or do you have like a, a longer term legacy goal of perhaps investing in the, you know, African continent based 
institutions and building them up so that they are actually the place that people from perhaps Europe and the Americas want to come to to study. Yeah, no, that's a really important goal. And I always applaud people who are working on all lanes in the education space. You know, there is work being done by the Africa Leadership Group in building robust world-class universities on the continent. There is capacity that we need in our usual University of Nairobi and Makere University. Our uh, the universities that are flagships in our various countries need to have better, uh, higher capacity to take in more students and have uh, more robust uh, facilities. We need all of that. But the lane that we're in, Daniel, is a very narrow lane. This is the lane that ensures that in 15 years, the guy that is running or the girl that is running the world's most valuable company had their first degree on the African continent. This Mm -hmm. is the lane that is about transforming the African narrative. This Mm -hmm. is not the lane of massification. This is Mm -hmm. a lane of narrative shift, narrative transformation. It's a lane of leveling the playing field. And Mm -hmm. so the what success looks like is very different. We want more and more Africans on the African continent getting a great education and more importantly, that education leading to jobs. But we also need the traditional places where the future is being built today, not in 50 years, not in 25 years, not even in five years. Today, this fall, I want a hundred more students from the African continent going to Georgia Tech and going to RIT and going to NYU mm-hmm. today. There is a lot of work that we can do to continue building, and I applaud everybody who is doing it, and they need to continue doing it. But At to the, the same time as all right of that now. is happening, we need those students here today. They need to Amazing. be in Oxford because that is 900 years of an effort in providing education that is currently unparalleled. It'll take us a while to get there. We're mm-hmm. not going to wait for us to build those institutions. We are enabling the financing that gets those students in the door today. Mm, Amazing, amazing. Um, Have you any fears or concerns or any stop gaps or solutions in place to stop the brain drain that might happen? Because again, I love that you went out, you know, had these amazing opportunities and came back home. But are there people that are going and not coming back? And one of the, I mean, I love that we're actually seeing a reverse on the brain drain at the moment. I can't remember where I heard about the statistic, but more and more of the diaspora actually returning to different parts of the continent, coming with their capital, coming with their education, coming with their business skills, coming with their friends. And that's helping to build out a lot of these, um, a lot of the the development that we're going to start seeing, I think, over the next decade or so. But have you embedded any... um, any contingencies to to stop the brain drain possibility from this program that you're rolling out? Yeah, so Daniel, I'll be provocative here. Mm-hmm. I'll suggest that brain drain is a 1960s idea that needs to be retired. <laughs> I'll suggest that click. to okay. engage in a discussion about brain drain mm-hmm. is to come from a premise of scarcity of mm-hmm. talent on the continent. And mm-hmm. that is very, very far from what mm-hmm. the reality is. This fall, I was in a university in Nairobi. I go when I, Every time I go to Nairobi, I, I make an effort to meet with students and career centers and get a sense of, you know, how do we expand the ambition and this range of possibilities that these mm-hmm. students can explore. And as I was in this, you know, audience with students, their dean came to tell them, you know, you guys are almost graduating and, you know, there are no jobs out there. Um, you know, you will have to be an entrepreneur. Try not to end up... Um, 
driving in Kenya, we call them border borders. They are um, motorbikes that you use to transport people yeah. from time to time. Girls are not, that's not the safest way to entrepreneur, but many people end up doing that even after university degree because there are no jobs. So mm -hmm. what constituted career advice was, yes, you know, listen, listen to this lady and what she's offering you. Our options are, you know, try, you will have to be an entrepreneur most likely, but try not to end up on a border border. Mm -hmm. That breaks my heart in a context mm. where I know there are engineering students in that graduating class who can come from master's program at RIT and mm -hmm. end up working in the gaming studio of bad robot games. For mm. me, it is a failure in our imagination when we want the brilliant Kenyans to be on a shelf in Kenya for us to look at and say, oh, look how brilliant they all are and they're here and they're not moving anywhere. Mm -hmm. the, the 21st century doesn't work like that. And in fact, even the very idea of Africa, Africans abroad needing to go back. It's like Africa doesn't belong in the world. Says who? Africans mm -hmm. are part of the world. Their brilliance is a is 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 part of our heritage as a, as a as a human race. Let them be in all the places in, you know, Tokyo and Munich and New York where there are things that they can do really well mm -hmm. and they will be creating solutions that are valuable both for the places where they are and for the African continent. It's a very long way of saying I am absolutely not fixated with returning people where they came from. I am mm -hmm. very fixated with enabling people to realize their highest potential. And mm. I worry that there is a concern that sometimes is paradoxical that simultaneously we think to take Africans away is to take brilliance. And then we worry, but all of those who are home have no jobs. Like those things can't, you know, if you're, if we, those things, we can't want both of those things at once. Like mm -hmm. it's not, it's not the right we we have to think a little bit differently about what the solution this the range of options look like and how we are leaning into this is moving away from the you know more 1960s tends to be more patronizing you know Africans should stay in Africa mind frame to a brain circulation one where the reason why some of the data shows that roughly 74% of the African entrepreneurs that raised over a million dollars in 2022 had a degree abroad is precisely because they end up in Cornell they end up in this you know in a room with somebody who's going to be in VC and they return home and then they come back here they have an office between San Francisco and Nairobi that is part of brain circulation that mm -hmm. is where we are leaning into we have no we have no requirement because in part this is not a, a government provided scholarship right so there is mm -hmm. no that requirement that, oh you must go back because we gave you the money in those mm -hmm. contexts i understand but you know let me let me let me be a, a bit less controversial here and then say one more thing which is we obviously want to help students get shoulders to step on in any geography that they desire what we cannot be doing is be the ones to dictate what they should do with their lives mm -hmm. their lives are about realizing their highest potential I love that. So your focus isn't in even in where they go, it's who they become. Oh my God, yes. Mm. I mean, right now, the where they go is important for my financing, which is my yeah. financing is American. I have to put my <laughs> yeah. an American But in terms of where they go post-education, yeah. your, your thing is we, we want to empower these people that we're financing to be the best version of themselves. And actually you're giving them to humanity rather than holding them captive as the private, the private property of Africa as a continent. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that is a very arbitrary line that, you know, constitutes, you know, me being Kenyan versus mm -hmm. a lot of it is very arbitrary. So mm -hmm. it is exactly that. And we are we are very much leaning into that story of global labor mobility and, you know, brilliance not being bounded. It's a it's a it's an absurd notion to imagine that, you know, you can keep 
a particular type of brain in a particular kind of geography. It just doesn't work like that. And financing is what typically tends to get in the way of this. And by unblocking it, what we want is for African brilliance to be everywhere. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. So um, have you got any success stories that you're particularly proud of or any case studies that you could share to maybe give the listener a bit more of an insight of the power behind what you're doing? Yeah. So, you know, there's a number of students whose stories, you know, they can best tell themselves. But we have a student who's at Columbia University now who um, came from northern Uganda and they had been trying to study abroad for the last decade. And when they found out about us and, our, you know, the idea that you can actually get a loan um, and, and get supported, they were absolutely thrilled and we helped them get to Colombia and actually, you know, helped her figure out from like, so then I'm, I've, you know, I've arrived at the airport, you know, how do I get to my dorm? And then how, where do I get my groceries? Like, you know, that kind of really basic mm-hmm. things that we don't really, financing is one piece. And there's all this other infrastructure that is so much needed. I mean, there's so much work that we have to do. You know, we have another student who's currently, or a graduate who's currently working at Gilead, who we also supported. And he, he was very, hassleful in the typical African sense, which is he had a little bit of money, he had mm-hmm. a little bit of scholarship, he just showed up in school without mm-hmm. knowing how he's going to like make the whole thing work and then found out about us through a friend of a friend and then ended up applying to us for, for financing and he's currently doing really well. I mean, these are things that make me really, truly excited. Mm-hmm. What I want is for students who have some resources, students who have no resources, all of them to come our way as long as they have that ambition they have it demonstrated because you know they've gone to the uh, gone through the hassle of getting an offer to a university and in fact we're working with some students even earlier we have a student who has an offer to Drexel University that they're going to be taking up this fall who had no idea how to start a, an application and our boot camp helped him figure out how to do that so there are examples like this of really upstream helping students know what to do with themselves how do you write a good essay what constitutes a recommendation for a teacher to write and send to the school mm-hmm. all the way to you have the offer how do we find you and then all the way to how do we mentor you and give you shoulders to step on so just really excited about what we're able to do and want to get it more of it done amazing 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 and let's say for example I mean I've got quite a decent network of people some of many of whom actually listen to this podcast I'm also tied in with a few people that are really quite well embedded in the philanthropy community that also are entrepreneurs um, my actual one of the reasons why I was really excited about what you're doing is because my goal is to be a full-time philanthropist over the next five to ten years that's what I'm actually working towards with everything I'm building and so I've been working hard and networking with different people in different fields and off the top of head I can think of a few people who would probably even from a philanthropic perspective yes maybe there's some there's some verticals that of, of, of ways to support some of these guys as they're moving through these but there's also entrepreneurial um, capital here that would definitely be interested in, in what you're doing um, for someone that was going to get involved in something like this let's say for example I knew somebody that was involved in finance maybe had a hedge fund that had some money behind them that would be interested in being involved in this kind of project now How strong is the economic incentive for somebody that's getting involved in something like this with you? Yeah, so I would be, uh, my my way of being in the world is I, you know, intend to meet 200 people from which maybe 10 are interested in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I am in a constant state of funnel expansion. So one Mm -hmm. way of answering your question is I would love to talk to anybody that you think would be interested 
in what we're doing. Um, and then in sort of a narrower sense, you know, we, we are currently not raising on our company side, the equity side, but we can always grow the loan book. So on the mm -hmm. debt side, we are always growing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm always happy to talk to people who are in the fixed income space or who are interested in that. Um, and more broadly, for anybody who's interested in what we're doing, I'm happy to give them more information. And then I would, another way of getting involved is them telling all those brilliant young people that are in their universe that they don't need to park their dreams on a shelf. They can mm -hmm. actually invest in themselves and get this done. But on the whole, you know, congratulations to you for being on track to becoming a philanthropist in five to 10 years. I, you know, when you get down that path and you want to hear some, um, you know, unsolicited advice on how to think about <laughs> philanthropy so that you're more additive than not. I am very happy to provide that to you, having spent a lot of time around the block yeah. thinking about, you know, some of these questions. But philanthropy, let me just say one last thing. Philanthropy is really important because there is like, you know, you know, philanthropy straight up dollar for dollar, you know, in, out, gone to support food insecurity in the Sahel. There's another kind of philanthropy that is unlocking of the kind of innovation that we do. This is people who are wanting a less than market return for what they're doing in order to de-risk something else that is more market. Mm -hmm. And that kind of catalytic uh, capital is so much needed in order to unlock innovation. And I mm -hmm. think there's so much to be done there. But on the whole, you know, happy to have, you know, that conversation in as much detail as needed. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I'm going to have a proper noodle on some people that I'd love to. But I've definitely got some friends over at Virgin group that will probably be very interested to speak to you especially as there is a profit driven side to this too uh i know that sir richard's got the they've got um virgin bank i can't remember what the name of the banking arm is but i know that they're very very passionate about solving problems and there's a problem here that does actually have a solution and when you're talking about a company that's, uh, a group that's got hundreds of companies also there's also possibilities of um, um what's the word i'm looking for even job placements after the fact as well that could be very very interesting so anyway i'm exactly. i'm going to have a noodle and, and see but there's a there's a couple of um there's a couple of people that i know that are very very big entrepreneurship wise they also have a heavy hand and are really interested in education i've got some friends of mine that are actually coming out to dubai in october to run an event um who are very they're getting really big donations into what they're doing if they could shift away from looking for donations to actually looking at raising capital for something that's actually got a financial return for people, then there's something to speak about there as well. Anyway, I'm, I'm waffling, but I've got some ideas is the long story short. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. Got no, happy, ideas. happy. So happy to talk about those. Mm -hmm. um, I have encountered the piece of Virgin's universe that is Virgin Unite that works on philanthropy. We uh, we we overlapped uh, in you know part of my past life while I was in the UN because they do some work you know, yeah. productive health in other spaces, but um, uh, there is a lot of capital out there that is looking for places where transformation can happen, and this is one place where every piece of return is tied to somebody's dream coming true. And mm -hmm. that is tied to generational transformation. So, you know, right. you can't make this stuff up. It's a market failure and we are working on fixing it. Yeah. I've actually had Jean on the, on the podcast. So um, I, oh, I love Jean to bits. She's awesome. And uh, a couple of other members of the team um, and Sir Richard himself, I go to NECA every year um, to hang out with a, a, an entrepreneurial group. I'm with. Well, good on you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
if there was one thing, one ask that you could have of the listener today, what is something that really jumps out at you as as an ask or a call to action to whoever's listening to this episode right now? Yeah, uh, allow me to have two. Uh, the first is to say, <laughs> you know, please revise your received wisdoms about Africa. Africa is a place that has abundance of brilliance. And when we worry, when we see, you know, global Africans trotting around and we think, oh, they should be back home fixing something broken, mm -hmm. that comes from a premise of scarcity. And mm -hmm. we really need to stop that. And mm -hmm. it's good for the world for us to stop that. A lot of harm happens as a result of that way of thinking about even what is considered a problem that needs to be solved and the range of solutions being explored is greatly affected by that mind frame. So that's one ask. And the second ask is actually what I, I started uh, you know, with earlier by saying we have financing for African students who are going to US universities this year. So if you know somebody who knows somebody who falls in that category or no universities that keep on saying oh you know the reason why 50% of our students are India and China is that there is no students from Africa with money that needs to change and that changes now and today so let them know to let the African students uh, know that there is financing from 8b.africa so we are solving the problem today. Awesome awesome it's awesome well Lydia thank you so much for coming on the show it's been eye-opening for me I uh, definitely got some things that I'm noodling on and just really grateful. And I again, want to honor and appreciate you for being a part of a solution to to shine a light on a market failure that is leaving the world at large um, without the gift of some of these great minds that are just waiting for the opportunity to to step up to the plate. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to the person who's listening. I invite you to move away from the scarcity and into the abundance approach and to ask yourself, who is one person that I can share this episode with who will have not only their mind shifted, but maybe their opportunity shifted and then think of another person and share it and then another person and share it and another person and share it until you've got nobody left to share it with and then think of somebody else. Keep dreaming with your eyes open, listener. Remember, you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life and to keep dreaming with your eyes open. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Duo with Dan with your host, Daniel McGenna. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit dmpotv.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Do It With Dan.